a Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. And I'm also not here with our special guest, Nuclear Norm. Hola. You haven't used that one before? Nope. And Nuclear Norm was just saying how he says hello in a different language every time, so I'm going to hold him to it. And I'm going to go back through the record and make sure that he's not lying to me. <laughs> Doesn't believe you. <laughs> Uh, and you're joining us for part two of our climate change series, the ongoing disaster that will one day destroy us all. I hope not. Before we get started, I'm going to do the housekeeping that I always do. If you're new here, welcome. We're happy to have you. If you want to get the full sort of broad picture of what we talk about, I recommend you go back to the beginning and start at our very first episode and get caught up. You don't have to do it now necessarily, but we do a lot of callbacks, not inside jokes. You're not going to miss anything out, but we do callbacks to previous episodes frequently. So if you want to get all those references, I recommend you just start at the beginning. And if you go through all those episodes and you like what you heard, then the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen. If you want to keep up with what we're doing on social media, at This Disaster Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, you can find everything in one convenient place on our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com, and our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod, where you can get tons of bonus content, access to our live-streamed major disaster recording sessions. There's We're doing that right now on our Discord server, so as a patron, you'd have access to that. You'd also have access to lots of bonus content, like micro disasters that come out every two weeks and the occasional bigger bonus content. Also, you get discounts on merch. And speaking of merch, we've got our next pre-order of shirts going on right now until, I think, October 16th. So if you go on our website, and it's kind of confusing. It doesn't actually say pre-order anywhere, but if you go on our website and you back order a shirt, you basically click in all of your preferences, back order it, it'll get added to the list, and then we're making them to order. So once we have all those orders in, we'll make them, ship them out to you, and you'll have them in time for Christmas. So uh, if you go to our, our website and head over to the shop, that's where you can find that. I think it's shop.thisdisasterpod.com. So check that out. Before we dive into the disaster, I think it might be quiz time because I got two of you here. Oh, damn it. No, I think, I think, I think you should know these ones. I'm going to, I'm going to do started. a way back when the whole pandemic started. looks like according to Instagram on March 11th, I posted a bunch of questions about our Black Death series. So I'm just going to, just going to do a quick quick quiz on them right now because in part recently well i guess at this point a month ago but we got news that the black death showed up again in mongolia that's right so maybe it's maybe it is relevant maybe we've maybe we've replaced covid with Probably the black fine. death again <laughs> <laughs> okay first first question what was the first mammal to carry the black death oh and i e can give you e options easy. oh okay do you, do you want the options or do you want to just dive in? Because you said easy. <laughs> no, just, I, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Here are the options that I gave and I'll give them to you too. Chicken, terabagon, rat, or elephant? Norm, you want to go first? Norm, you go first. I would go yes, first. rat because that's my guess, but okay. it's too obvious. So I'm going to go with terabagon okay. as my final answer because I don't know what okay. that is. Fair <laughs> enough. And Lee? I'm going with Terabagon as well because it's it yeah it's it's the wild card, but not <laughs> yeah. wild enough. And also because you were talking about it in the group chat the other day. Yeah, we talked we talked about the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Terabagon, Terabagon marmot was the first mammal to carry the Black Death. Got bit by a flea. And this one just has two options. The disease agent that causes the Black Death is a bacteria or a virus. It's bacteria, right? I mean, Mike, I'm going to go bacteria. It's, it's a bacteria, right? That's yeah. bacteria. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Good one. Two for two. So, so far. I can just get rid of oh, it with okay. antibiotics. Uh, no. Nope. Seems a bit more aggressive, but yeah. Yeah, I guess <laughs> technically. <laughs> I thought it was it's chicken soup. 
Chicken soup will do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This form of the Black Death will kill you the fastest. And remember, there's three forms. You got bubonic, pneumonic, and septicemic. Oh, easy. Bubonic. 100%. Okay. Lee? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with uh, C because it sounds the grossest. Septicemic. Lee's right about this one. I think bubonic bubonic is like 10 days. Pneumonic was like three or four days. And septicemic is 12 hours. Ah! That kind of makes sense with the word septic in there. It probably implies what happens to you. It's in in your blood and at that point it's everywhere. You just barf poison. And I think this is the last one. The Black Death started its journey through Europe in France, Germany, Italy, or Luxembourg. I'm going to go with Italy because why not? Sure. Lee? Uh, I'm going to go with Italy because I'm pretty sure it started in, in uh, was it Genoa? <laughs> yeah. It was the Genoese fleet that got chased by the Mongols all the way oh, back yeah. to Kaffa. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> that whole debacle. If you wanted to get those answers for yourself, all you had to do was go back and listen to episode 13 and 14, part one and part two of our Black Death series. So check those out. Classic episodes. With that, I'm going to hand it off to Norm to get into part two of this disaster. Thanks, Peter. You're welcome, Norm. (laughs) In the previous episode, we skirted around the topic of climate denial. We sure did. And that's kind of it was by intention because... One thing that's really important for people that kind of don't really know what side to be on and they're like genuinely agnostic mm-hmm. is to present the data first. So okay. listen to our first episode. Mm-hmm. You get all the information before you get bombarded with counter information or incorrect information. Um, okay. Climate denial is a pretty serious problem and... Mm-hmm. You can figure this out by going to any video or article about climate change. Yeah. Going right to the comments. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't read yep. the comments. Never read the comments. Yeah. So, sorry, Fat Chetty. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get that reference, listen to part one of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to these comments, you'll see a vocal group of people that are climate deniers. Mm-hmm. Essentially for various reasons, arguing against everything we said in episode one, part one of this uh, mm-hmm. two-parter. Now, their views can kind of vary on a spectrum between uh, the climate is changing, but humans aren't causing it, which right. we presented plenty of evidence for last week that it is, mm-hmm. or that the climate's changing, but that's not really a big deal, uh-huh. to it's all a conspiracy. Hmm. Right, so there's like a huge spectrum of people that can deny climate change. Yeah. It is sadly almost exclusively American-driven. They are a world leader and have a huge sphere of influence. So what happens Mm -hmm. with them and their projections actually do ultimately influence, like especially Canada a lot, but a lot of Western-linked nations. So a 2018 Pew Research poll Mm -hmm. showed that 16% of Americans... Mm -hmm did not consider climate change to be a threat at all. 16%. 16, okay. Yeah. Which okay. is quite a bit higher than the worldwide median for that same poll, which was 9%. Okay. But okay. you can still see 16% is a minority opinion, right? Most mm. people acknowledge it as some level of a threat. Well, that's and encouraging. 16% of the people are the ones that are the loudest, so it makes it seem yeah. 
like there's a bigger bigger issue here. Mm-hmm. Uh, naively though, like you would think it's they're just ignorant, like literally ignorant. They don't know the okay. facts. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And once they learn the facts, of course they'll understand. Yep. But if you've ever talked to any climate denier or seen any discussions about them, mm-hmm. you can tell simply presenting facts doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty dug in. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're I, stubborn. I don't engage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this turns out to be actually much less of a scientific literacy issue, okay. but more of a psychological issue and a political <laughs> okay. issue. Right. Okay. So let's just use a hypothetical example here. Sure. Hey, Lee, let's pretend you're a coal miner. Mm -hmm. You live in coal country. Your dad was a coal miner and your grandfather was a coal miner and everyone before that was a coal miner. Right. And then I say, hey, did you know your coal mining is hurting the earth and it's killing people and it's been bad? What the fuck are you talking about, you son of a bitch? How was that? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I believed it. Chills. <laughs> well, so, yeah, like, you know, this is kind of an extreme example, but like your instinct, right, is to say like, hey, I didn't intend to hurt anyone. I'm not a bad person, but you're saying I've caused harm, right? right? Yeah. You're saying my daddy's and his daddy's business is ruining the earth. You can see this analogy applies to other things other than the environment, like racial issues, mm-hmm. other issues oh, yeah. where there's a group of people that did not intend to hurt someone but are. So your instinct, right, is to avoid that uncomfortable truth rather than confronting it or realizing it. And Mm -hmm. most people will find any way to justify that position. So in psychology, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not the psychologist here. (laughs) She's in the other room. You know what? Putting a baby in a bed. Yeah, you're why. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'll get her to refute you if you're wrong. In psychology, (laughs) this is called motivated reasoning. You can probably figure this out from the the, the name. And Mm -hmm. it's the idea that people will tend to dismiss any information that contradicts an entrenched belief. And then they will accept information that confirms that belief, even if this results in some sort of cognitive dissonance that doesn't reflect objective reality. But it's comforting to know that you were right. Isn't that also sometimes called confirmation bias? Yeah, it is a type of confirmation bias. It's a type of, yeah. Gotcha, okay. I would say... On some level, I think we're all guilty of that. Yes, you know, like everyone, just, everyone does it. Does it? You just have to be smart about catching yourself when you do it, right? Like yeah, your instinct is always like, "Hey, Peter, you're wrong." You're like, "No, oh wait, maybe I yeah. am." Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's Could always the wrong? instinct. Yeah, of course, I can't be wrong. Yeah, that ties to the other common psychological phenomenon, I guess, of humans, where you always look, you look for the wrong, how someone's wronged you. So like, you know, if someone cuts you off on the highway, you're like, oh, that, why did that asshole cut me off? Why did he cut me off? It's like, he didn't, he didn't wrong you specifically. He just, you know, he got in your way. It's not a slight against you. Just like I imagine what you're saying, you're not attacking the coal miner for being a bad person. You're just saying, hey, your industry's doing some harm, but human nature is like, why yeah. Why are you calling me an asshole? And, and even <laughs> yeah. if you're not a coal miner, right? Or you're not personally sure. invested in that industry, but you believed that and you believed it for 10 years, right. it's really hard for you to change and just like think, oh, I've been thinking wrong. Like not even doing anything, right. but like just the fact that I thought it was yep. fine, you know, that makes me bad is your thought. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're not being accused of this. Uh, yep. 
So, so this is like why simply presenting facts doesn't work. They're they're mm-hmm. not receptive, and even worse, sense. saying like it's stupid. Don't you understand science? Like that <laughs> that doesn't That'll work go. either. Yeah, like, <laughs> no. yeah. People are more likely to just double down on being wrong than reassess their stance. Right. Uh, you ever like, want to lose you, an argument? Yeah. Start it by calling someone an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and there's like some subtle things that play into this too. It's not like all of this like major psychology, but um, there's a lot of social pressures that come from things. So let's just say your social group, your circle is made up of climate deniers, right? You know, there's large pockets of this in America. Sure. Mm, yep. In various locations. And if, if you were to like say all your friends are climate deniers and you were to be like, hey guys, what do you think about the Green New Deal? Right. Mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. AOC's got some good ideas. Sure. You would be made fun of, ridiculed by mm-hmm. your own in-group, people you respect, and you pay a mm-hmm. social cost for this. So mm-hmm. it it's actually beneficial for you to not speak up. Right? <laughs> you know, unless you're a weird psycho like Peter who tells everyone their, their opinions. Um, but like, you know <laughs> Well, yeah. I did this sort of in-group <laughs> bias, right, is is kind of yep. like what we're leading to kind of an ex- a relevant example for the pandemic is uh, it's been shown that people were more likely to shelter in place and wear masks if their in-group does. Right. right. I don't know a single person in my very small in-group that did not shelter in place and does not wear a mask and like hasn't talked to anybody, like, you know, gone anywhere oh, yeah. to the grocery store, but you hear stories yeah. about people going to beaches and partying, right? Like, sure. Sure. And that's just a weird, uh, weird behavior influence within groups generally right like i think mm-hmm. <laughs> we went from uh i think you bought a sony camera and then within <laughs> like a month i and our buddy john also had sony cameras <laughs> that's well, like yeah, a, that's well, a consumer that's a consumer level example but that's the exact kind yeah of thing. if you like, showed up with idea. a canon i would have just like exiled you <laughs> from our social group people people listening and lee might think that we're joking but <laughs> I I think you might have stopped talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also like you kind of over time kind of hone your inner circle of friends and, and, you know, confidants to the point where maybe you just wouldn't probably chances are you wouldn't know someone who would go against that. Yeah, like Like, it's not like you suddenly would be a climate denier, right? But your mindset would have melded to that of all your friends in a similar manner if you never really yeah, thought yeah. too critically about things like this. Yep. So denialists prefer to be called climate skeptics. But okay. this is actually an incorrect use of the term skeptic because mm-hmm. a skeptic is someone who questions claims and suspends judgment until evidence is provided. <laughs> right. But right. the <laughs> evidence is overwhelming. We talked about it last episode. So, mm-hmm. so climate skeptics are arguing in bad faith they're setting right. either impossible standards of evidence like shifting the goalposts like oh you said this well i need even more data or they're mm-hmm. dismissing the evidence altogether saying like no 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 it's, i don't want to hear it that's wrong right yeah. like yeah. so this Cheery is thinking. like the definition of denialism right yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah and i think most people know that climate denialists are almost always politically conservative leaning fair enough typically yeah but denialism in general actually isn't unique to conservatives it's quite bipartisan right like you think Mm of who typically denies for example the safety of gmos right the safety of Mm -hmm. nuclear energy the safety of 
vaccines. Hmm. <laughs> it's not just conservatives, although yeah, sidebar on not. vaccine denial. Yeah. It's actually quite interesting because uh, the perception of a vaccine, an anti-vaxxer, is that they're your, you know, your yeah. West Coast hippies, sure. you know, with dreadlocks and stuff. But it's actually yeah. like a lot of polls have actually shown that anti-vax is actually quite bipartisan. You get both like hippies and libertarians hmm. being anti-vax for different reasons, but like <laughs> still denying, uh, you know, vaccines for, for different reasons. I would love to be a fly on the wall of that convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, Bunch of people showing up with, you know, they meet the meet in the middle, but <laughs> they're, you know, everything's half, half of them opposite. have dreadlocks and joints and the yeah. other half have like AR-15s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, we can agree on something. <laughs> so you know, when, you, when you're arguing with de- denialists, they tend to not really understand the science and they're not really trying to debate the science with you, but rather they're mm-hmm. memorizing a lot of talking points and mm-hmm. not really like constructively taking feedback and responding. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Um, yep. So like, how did we even get here? I'm, I'm framing a lot of questions. Peter, don't say it. Don't say it. I feel like I exhausted that in part one. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think so, but yeah. you know, okay. you, I'm yeah. overwhelmingly... Uh, so how do we get to this post-truth yeah. world of denial? Yeah. So we're all old enough to remember smoking in restaurants. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, when did they get I, rid of that? In, in, was it like 2003 or like 2002? Here? Something like that. I, I actually have a vivid memory of being in Harvey's. And for our American listeners, that's like, that was like the competing burger chain to, or it is like the competing burger chain to McDonald's. It was always like, yeah. you going to McDonald's or are you going to Harvey's? I don't think it's in the States or at least it didn't. That's a very much, no. Canadian, it's a Canadian thing of you to say. So I remember there was, there was a Harvey's in Ottawa that I would always go to with my dad and we'd like get a burger and then sit down in the non-smoking section. <laughs> and it would be like, you'd sit down and you're literally back to back with a person <laughs> in the smoking section who's smoking. Right. And I remember going to my dad like how did like what how do the sections work because i can <laughs> i can smell the smoke yeah it's finding me it's yeah. it was so crazy that that used to be a thing yeah and there was yeah. smoking in like hospitals and on airplanes yeah. like there's a no smoking sign on an airplane movie theater yeah. Yeah. and in universities yeah. Yeah. my dad was telling me how he'd like just sit in the sit in class and everyone was smoking yeah, like, so oh, you remember crazy. how like normal that was though right like because that yeah. was your baseline and sure. now it's even like if you're hanging out with your friends and someone starts smoking and no one else smokes, yeah. you're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In 1994, the CEOs of all the big tobacco companies testified under oath in Congress mm-hmm. that nicotine mm-hmm. was not addictive. Right. But the medical science showed that it was addictive and in fact it had strong links to cancer yeah which now this is that was 20 years ago like duh right Um, and in fact leaked documents showed that the tobacco companies had internal research going back to the 50s that showed they knew all of these negative health effects right obviously because they're the ones researching their own their own uh, product also turns out the sky is blue So, Big Tobacco hired uh, a public relations firm called Hill and Knowlton. And they'll be a name to remember, Hill and Knowlton. Hill and Knowlton, okay. Okay. And their strategy for the Big Tobacco War was you can't avoid the evidence that's coming out about links to cancer. Mm -hmm. But you can cast doubt on it. You create a controversy and delay any type of regulation at all. Mm -hmm. So... Hill and Knowlton hires a lot of third-party advocates 
to publicly come out and question the science. Interesting. Not saying like it's all wrong, but you say like things like smoking might be bad. It might not. We don't know. There's not enough evidence. We need more studies. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and just me saying that is triggering Peter, right? Because it is such just a, a weasel just, thing to say. Because it's that, that's just like explain. That's just explaining how science works, right? I don't know. We could use more studies. Yeah, we could always use more studies. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, if if you're again, if you're impartial, this kind of is a reasonable argument. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. don't jump to conclusions. Let's do more research, but obviously mm-hmm. those people don't know the research has been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and all this did was lead to public confusion as to whether cigarettes were bad. Like you get people <laughs> with anecdotal evidence saying, I smoked a pack a day for 40 years and I'm fine. Right. And I'm one data point. <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> respect, it's a good strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, no, nefarious goal, but it's a good strategy. <laughs> so on to a little bit further. Mm-hmm. James Hansen, getting into names now. Mm, he was the head of the <laughs> Goddard Institute for Space Studies, which is part of NASA, okay. uh, yeah. from 1981 to 2013. So he basically spent his whole career wow. as the head awesome. of this institute at NASA. Yeah, he was an expert. Yeah, he was an expert on Venus. Okay, and he knew. That it was the runaway greenhouse effect that caused Venus to be so hot. Okay. Ooh, we heard about that in part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah. The, or I remember that from our, uh, when you told us how the universe would die. Yeah, yeah that too. We talked about Venus <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. The uh, uh, Cosmic Terror episode, cosmic just terror. off the top of my head. Yeah. It's episode 11, <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, go back and check that one out, where Nuclear yeah. Norm came on and tell us how everything was going to end. Yeah, I'll yeah. never forget it. So, he was an expert on Venus. And in 1988, James Hansen Mm -hmm. testified to the U.S. Congress that, with high confidence, greenhouse gases were causing global warming. Booyah. Controversy over. High expert at an elite place, NASA. Dedicated his life. Yeah, dedicated his life. Here's the the conclusions. What does he know? And in fact, Republican President George H.W. Bush Mm -hmm. completely accepted it and supported action against climate change. There's like a very famous speech of him saying like, we're yeah. going to, we're going to do this. And then that's it. And we'd solve climate change. 1988. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yep. See you later. Nothing else All happened right, got, got any music awesome. that? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so internal research at the fossil fuel companies showed that they already knew that mm-hmm. greenhouse gases were causing this just like the, <laughs> Tobacco mm. people. Knew. Of course, they he do. comes running in with a binder Shock. and his hair all out of place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll never. Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> like, so obviously, their internal, their own research, they knew this, but it was suppressed from the public mm-hmm. for various reasons because they don't want to look yeah. bad. But interestingly, <laughs> uh-huh. the fossil fuels uh, company's plan was actually to get ahead of the game and participate okay. in regulation. So that's why they okay. were doing this. So they're like, hey, we know this is bad. Let us regulate. Okay. But they kind of realize that any level of regulation is going to kill your bottom line. Well, sure. And these are corporations. Their only goal is to make money for shareholders. So cutting yourself off to help self-regulate. Yeah. Can you imagine? Okay, perfect. Let's self-regulate. Yeah. So what do we have to do? Stop stop making oil. Okay. Uh, Uh, What else? What are the other options? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Basically none. Basically just restructure your entire business from the ground up. 
That's I a- mean, they could have uh-huh. invested in nuclear, solar, geothermal, wind, mm-hmm. other types of energy. Invented Teslas. Hey, can, can we just can we just do that tobacco thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, interestingly enough, it seemed to work pretty well for them. The fossil fuel companies hired Hill and Knowlton, the same oh, PR firm as sake. Tobacco. <laughs> of course they did. And they Swill used the exact and Hill and Knowlton. Bl- Knowlton. <laughs> they used the same the tactics over again, claiming, mm-hmm. "Hey, there's not enough evidence. We need more data. In fact, mm-hmm. global warming might be good." You know what? We're, there's actually not enough carbon dioxide. Yeah, we love that shit. You saying you don't like soda pop? Everyone loves soda pop. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, so obviously they did this because they stand to lose the most if people stop using yep. fossil fuels. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Y- you think so? <laughs> fossil fuel companies made, or sorry, oil and gas made $180 billion in revenue in 2018. So. Know. They spend $200 million a year on lobbying, so literally pennies to them on on lobbying, mostly to Republican politicians. (laughs) And if you know anything about like the Koch brothers and their influence on Mm. American politics, this is plays into all that stuff. Okay. Plenty already written about them. Their public relations strategy is to suggest scientific doubt Mm -hmm. and confuse the population, Mm -hmm. delay regulation, same as with tobacco. Mm. Right. And if you've ever seen like a debate on TV about climate change, it actually plays right into the their public relations strategy. Right. You'll get a scientist or a communicator debating someone with nebulous credentials. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that per, that denier is always <laughs> highly trained in debate tactics though. And they'll have very deceptive titles like head of scientific economics at the so-and-so institute yeah and like if you don't know any better you're like well he's got science in his title he's a scientist too <laughs> he's got science and economics damn he knows about everything <laughs> but these talking heads yeah. are actually called merchants of doubt and it's the book that i got a lot of this information from and it's also a documentary oh, cool. fantastic Sweet. read uh that talks nice. about all we'll put this that stuff. in the show notes yeah um yeah. these merchants of doubt when you look into them they're never scientists. Yeah. All the institutes that they represent aren't like publicly funded science institutes. They are conservative think tanks. Okay. So they're mm. portrayed as being experts, but they're actually right. fake experts. Right. And mm. you'll see in these five minute debates that nothing ever comes out of them, right? You never get yet the the denialists be like, Oh, you know what? You're right, Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and this is exactly what that would be amazing. What they want in the debate, right? Like they they want this confusion oh yeah yeah it's good tv so john cook is a cognitive scientist and he's actually a really big name in the field of climate communication mm-hmm. and he actually refuses debates against climate deniers because right. there's nothing constructive that comes out of debating objective truths right right and like simply the act of holding a debate makes people think mm-hmm. that there is a debate to be had right that's fair enough we like we don't have serious debates about whether the earth is flat. Like you don't turn on CNN and and have a flat earth debate or a moon landing or a Holocaust denial. Yet. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) First of all. Second of all, turns out I was right to not engage. That's my strategy. (laughs) But you know, there's people out there who are like, he can't, he's too afraid to even debate this. Like, like those people are not who you're, we're trying to convince, right? They're not going to be changed. There's nothing you could say. There's no evidence you could present that would ever meet Mm -hmm. their standard. 
Yeah. It's like, and in fact, actually fairly recently, the BBC news company channel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can just say the BBC. The BBC, BBC uh, in, in the United C. Kingdom. Uh, they stopped interviewing climate deniers entirely. Like they don't give them Perfect. any time at all. Yes. Way to go, love. They're claiming their freedom of speech is being stifled and so on. Have they heard of the internet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many outlets. So as part of this denial movement, two very credible voices came out and actually sided with the fossil fuel companies. Mm-hmm. Their names are Fred Singer and Fred Seitz. Oh, the Freds. They were actually both res- very respected retired physicists, like extremely mm-hmm. respected. Fred Seitz is, mm-hmm. in my field of semiconductor physics, like mm-hmm. one of the pioneers of semiconductor physics. Oh, oh really? Cool. Yeah. This must be hard for you. I mean, he's kind of an old guy. <laughs> he's a hero. Yeah, I'm not. It's not like I'm worshiping him or anything. Um, Wait, is that a is that a picture of him over your shoulder? <laughs> go, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> Fred, why? <laughs> That's my shrine to Fred Seitz. <laughs> but, okay. but the two Freds are actually very active in uh, in the media, discrediting the consensus work of climate scientists. Like they would go out in interviews and say, "Oh, the science they're doing is baloney. It's bad. It's mm. biased." It's all wrong. It's all it's all okay. it's all a joke. All right. Mm. Helpful. You're probably asking, like, why would these guys do this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. Yeah. Well, both the Freds were active during like the height of the Cold War. That's when their careers peaked, right? Like when they made their okay. biggest discoveries in, in like the 60s. Okay. And they were like described by their colleagues and students as dogmatically anti-communist. Okay. okay. Yeah. So there's a strong belief. From, from this side, that mm-hmm. any form of government regulation, whether it be mm-hmm. tobacco regulation, climate regulation, regulation on fire retardants, mm-hmm. that <laughs> leads to anything, right? Leads to loss of personal freedoms. Uh, mm-hmm. Both Freds would argue, actually argued in favor of big tobacco, discrediting the science in the exact same way they did for climate. Okay. To, to avoid regulation on climate. Right. Right. Like, if you want to smoke mm-hmm. your brains out, that's your God-given right. Yeah. Like, we're... A little younger, we grew up kind of well in the like post Cold Warish era. Like even even Lee, you know, like <laughs> he, he's like he's a grizzled Gen Xer. <laughs> That's right. I remember the the tail end of it in the eighties with the threat mm. of nuclear war. Although it didn't affect me, I was too young to have existential dread. But you know, that didn't come until you were twelve. Exactly. <laughs> That's when, yeah. like the post war backlash to communism, it's kind of understandable on the surface to someone mm-hmm. that lived through that era doing, you know, nuclear bomb drills hiding under your desk. Yep. Uh, right. For sure. That that won't do anything hiding under your desk. Well, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> Chernobyl part one. Duck and cover. <laughs> There's the concept of free market fundamentalism. And that's the idea mm-hmm. that an unregulated market, so without a government interference, without regulation, is the best solution socially, economically, to have no regulation mm-hmm. at all. Mm. Right. And like any economist will tell you that that is obviously not realistic. And and today, all countries exist on some spectrum of a mixed economy. And you don't see, depending on who whose opinion you ask, yeah. countries tipping into communism right. because they've introduced a carbon tax. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about what some deniers will often say as mm-hmm. talking points against climate change. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Bring it on. So, the science has pointed that humans have caused climate change, and it's been 
pointed that way for for decades. Okay, All right. Only with increasing certainty. Yeah. <laughs> the more evidence only shows that yes, humans are causing climate change. Yep. We did it. A denier will say, "Well, the science isn't settled. There's actually no consensus amongst the experts." Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pretty solid argument. Well, yeah. Again, if you don't know any better and you just hear yeah. two talking heads say that, yeah. in your mind, you're like, I'm trying to find out the truth here. Mm. One guy's saying this, the other guy's saying this. Eh, it must be somewhere in the mm. middle. Right. Yeah. Like, naively, right? Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of like the trick with that argument. Like, this all comes back to scientific consensus. In science, a consensus isn't an opinion. It's not like a general opinion like, hey, what do you think about climate change, Peter? What do you yeah. think about climate change, Lee? Yeah. Yeah. In science, it's more that the evidence creates a consensus right, right. that points to the same conclusion. It's not an opinion. Yeah, right. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's even stronger than like a general consensus of like, who's your favorite singer? Yeah. So we mentioned John Cook before as the mm-hmm. cognitive scientist that uh, refuses to debate. Right. Yeah. He's the one that in 2013 published the now famous mm-hmm. study showing that 97% of climate scientists agree Humans are causing climate change. Mm-hmm. So that that is the John Cook study. Mm-hmm. Here's the, the deniers, though. Before we get into that, that yeah. alone, 97% of climate scientists agree humans cause climate change. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you don't know anything, that should be all you need to know. You're like, oh, yeah, the people that research this are telling me overwhelmingly that uh, yeah, right. this is what the, the truth is. So, oh, all of them? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess no, but 97 out of yeah. 100 of them. Yeah, so, good enough. The, the deniers, they're prepared They're prepared for this one. Mm-hmm. Here's what they'll tell you. Hey, okay. that John Cook study actually cherry-picked data. It used poor methodology. It's not science at all. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know anything... Mm-hmm. I don't. Like, if you're agnostic... Casting doubt. Yeah, mm-hmm. ca- casting doubt. The tobacco approach. <laughs> the, John, the John Cook study analyzed 4,000 peer-reviewed climate science papers. Okay. okay. And it took all the papers and put them into three groups. Mm-hmm. One group of papers was any one that explicitly said humans are causing climate change. Mm-hmm. Another group okay. was those that explicitly said humans are not causing climate change. Okay. okay. And then a third group was the, the papers that didn't say anything explicitly either way. Right. Mm. So of those papers that made a statement, yes or no, yeah. 97% of them said that humans are causing climate change. All right. Okay. So you can see where the deniers come in. Yeah. You can't just throw out all of those papers that didn't make a statement. Sure. And since a majority of the papers didn't say mm-hmm. yes, humans or no humans are in causing climate change, they it means yeah. they're uncertain. So the majority right, right. of the science is actually uncertain. You're you're friggin' around with the data. Mm. Like that like this is a very logically sound surface argument. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it sounds very compelling. Here's a problem with that. It's actually an aggressively ignorant stance. Because <laughs> the problem wow. with that argument is that the science on climate change has been conclusive for decades. Okay. okay. So these 4,000 papers that they're analyzing are, are the 4,000 most recent papers of 2013, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to need to state humans are causing climate change. They don't... Re- like, I see. It's so already understood... The papers yeah. aren't going to state that. So you can't accurately use those papers as right. weighted evidence mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. same way that, Peter, you did a PhD in biology. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever read a paper that said, yeah. yes, evolution by natural selection occurred? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because it did. Yeah. So you can't 
apply that criteria to any other field. Like if you applied it to physics, yeah, yeah like, I was just going to say biology. I, I guarantee no papers on black holes have to say that gravity exists. Yeah. <laughs> like it would fail to meet these these expectations right yeah, yeah yeah so like you could either say okay well i guess this study is meaningless then because we can't draw anything out of it well in the same study john cook surveyed the authors of those four thousand papers and asked them to self-rate their stance and <laughs> yeah, they got okay. the same 97 percent. yeah there we go self-rating saying yeah it's yes so the okay. people that didn't so. state anything were like yeah yeah obviously yes <laughs> yeah yeah right well, yep. yeah no duh and if you don't like the john cook study there's six other similar studies that have done the same thing in, in slightly different ways, and they all get between 91 and 100% of the authors of published peer-reviewed scientific papers saying humans <laughs> cause climate change. <All> right. <laughs> so what you're saying is there is no controversy in the literature. Yes, mm. yes there is absolutely no controversy in the literature, which is okay. contrary to what your perception is if yeah. you don't really research this a lot. The image that I have in my mind is Job saying, I hear the jury's still out on science. Science. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. So a denier will say any contradictory evidence is always suppressed. Academia is mm -hmm. corrupt, they're biased, they're paid off by like, mm. Al Gore or China or something. Right. Right, <laughs> right, and cutting checks left and right. Is that before they fall into a black hole made out of irony? <laughs> <laughs> As a scientist, this is frustrating, and it's because it's like a misunderstanding of like the purpose of science, and it's actually insulting to those climate scientists that spend decades doing that research. Yeah, yeah, to, and like to have basically some non-expert tell you like, oh, everything you've done that's just made up. You're corrupt. Yeah, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And, like, if someone had extremely irrefutable evidence that uh, humans were not causing climate change, mm -hmm. this wouldn't be suppressed. Every journal would be lining up to publish it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Right? This would be a huge story for anybody. <laughs> yep. I mean, career-making shit. Yeah. yeah. And, like, no other field gets this type of scrutiny, right? Like, a physicist says, hey, did you know gravity is a curvature of space-time? And people <laughs> will be like... Well, yeah, you're the expert. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you tell me, pal. But yeah. then with this, it's like, oh, well, actually, uh, truth.ru says that it's all our own. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm uh, sorry, any, any Russian listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's not all. Yeah. yeah. But, but, like, deniers will typically learn, like, just enough of the science to sound like they know what they're talking about, mm. but, like, end up completely wrong. <laughs> Like, I think, like, a good example, it's not really a denial thing, but, like, just of learning just enough to be wrong, aside from the sidebar. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think I have a good idea as to how, like, climate scientists must feel, because I generally work in the field of quantum physics, and this is, like, mm -hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow's energy healer talking about the <laughs> double-slit experiment and how our minds can control reality. Like, he knows just enough to, like, go in the exact opposite direction of what yeah. the science actually says, and, and that's kind of, like... What the climate scientists or the climate deniers do. <laughs> I think about this a lot, actually, how... Gwyneth Paltrow? It's, it's almost like... <laughs> yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> all the time. Goop. Nope. Goop. But I, I think about the, how someone who knows a little bit about something is way more dangerous than somebody who knows nothing about <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the P, even though, like, a PhD... Like, like someone who's done their PhD 
they know more about that field than the average person knows about anything. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. like Peter knows more about like electrocuting fish or whatever he did. <laughs> that is. <laughs> you have been making that joke for the last you eight years. <laughs> That's not what I st- I studied ion, cha- but I agree with you. Yes. Like I knew more about ion channels and membrane potentials than, than the average person knows about any topic. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Like it's yeah. and it's not a conce- it's not a like a conceited thing. It, I I literally yeah. spent five years of my life on you just You know more that. about yeah. that than I know about Skinny Puppy? That's scary. Yeah, that is that is scary. <laughs> That's a terrifying way of putting it, yeah. But I totally believe you. Even though you're a world <laughs> expert on that, you know sure. there's so much you don't know. Right. And the, the, yeah. the denialists who just read you know, a small amount of information on YouTube, exactly. they actually think they know it all. <laughs> exactly. And but if we want to tie it back to psychology, I still feel that happening. I'll learn something new like I don't know when I was starting to use my camera when I first got it. Uh and I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. Like I started, you know, shooting some videos and I'm like, "Oh man, this is amazing. I know everything about making videos." <laughs> yeah, it must be so easy to be a videographer. Yeah, yeah like what's the big deal, Spielberg? <laughs> but then like I, you start learning more and more. It's like, oh, I was using the wrong frame rate, and the <laughs> wrong ISO, and the wrong shutter speed. Like, just I was doing everything wrong. And it's just because you get that first hit and you're like, ah, this is easy. Why isn't everybody a filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So off of that side. Three different ways of saying the same thing. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're here. And another way to discredit the consensus, mm-hmm. a denialist will say, what about the Oregon petition? You're saying Oregon? Oregon. Like the okay. state. <laughs> Okay. The state where they harvest your organs. Not, not the organ. Not the oregano. The okay. Oregon petition. Makes slightly more sense, but I haven't heard about that. Well, it's a nineteen ninety-eight petition where thirty-two thousand climate scientists signed this petition hmm. stating that they reject the idea of human caused climate change. That seems like pretty compelling evidence hmm. against climate that's, change. That's uh yeah. Thirty-two thousand. Mm-hmm. They could have ten million signatures. A petition is not scientific evidence. <laughs> oh. The qualifications to sign the Oregon petition were, mm-hmm. you must hold a Bachelor of Science degree in any field. Oh, fuck off. That is, that is all. You don't need to be working in that field. Mm-hmm. No climate scientists were on this, or very few climate scientists were actually in this petition. Mm-hmm. None of the qualifications were ever verified. Mm-hmm. So the petition included names like Charles Darwin, uh, Jerry Hallowell of the Spice Girls, Michael uh, J. Fox, various other celebrities. Not McFly. Yep. Uh, I did not uh, know Jerry Hallowell was so against climate change. I know she had a dog in this race. <laughs> so the petition turned out to be funded by mm-hmm. conservative politician Arthur B. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, he also ran a similar petition promoting the intelligent designs teach the controversy movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Something about that. If you don't remember, that was that they wanted to teach the fact that there was a controversy as to whether intelligent design happened, creationism, yep. or evolution. Right, 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 right. right. Uh-huh. Teach the controversy. Uh-huh. Well, the, their best evidence was a petition of people wanting it. Okay. I've got, I don't have a joke for this. This is, <laughs> this is, this is I think so, it speaks for itself. This petition was also championed by Fred Seitz. Hmm. The Freds. One of the Freds. Well, I'm sure they both championed it, but Fred Seitz specifically had his name on it. Fred Squared. So Seitz was actually the president of the National Academy of Sciences from 1962 to 1979, which in America, this is a top scientific 
position. Right. Mm. And due to his high profile, like, like you know, he's a legend in that industry, yeah. the Academy actually had to hold a press conference and disavow this petition and Fred Seitz oh, to distance themselves from him because this was such, like, nonsense garbage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> My, how the mighty Freds have fallen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so some more talking points. Mm-hmm. So last episode... Or two episodes ago, I guess you had one in between. We talked about how like the climate has changed historically a lot, right? Way before yeah. humans did anything. Yeah. Yeah. So a denier will obviously say, well, the climate change is obviously happening on its own. How do you like we're not we're not causing it. Right. Yeah. It, it happened on its own. In fact, you explained exactly how it happens on its own. Of of, of all the I guess deniers or denying positions I've heard, that's one I've actually encountered in person. Yeah. Oh me so, too. Yeah. So the climate has never changed at the rate it's currently changing. And mm. this is what all our data shows. And mm, all right. the models show that we cannot model this level of climate change without adding human-made greenhouse gases. Right. right. So like the argument that humans aren't causing it mm-hmm. because, I don't know, because it already happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to borrow a quote from Joe Scott on YouTube. And the <laughs> quote... <laughs> Is well, cancer existed before cigarettes. Yeah, smoking can't cause cancer. Oh, brilliant! Good one. <laughs> right, like there that's kind of that's perfect. A similar argument. Thank you, Joe Scott. YouTube, great guy. I mean, people yeah. died before there were murders, mm-hmm. so you know that's not a form of killing. Well, yeah. So guns can't be <laughs> increasing murders. Exactly. Oh boy. Oh man. <laughs> Other facts that you may hear. Humans emit 30 billion tons of carbon dioxide every year. That's how much we're emitting. Mm-hmm. But hey, <laughs> 780 billion tons of CO2 is naturally emitted, and humans are only emitting 30 billion. Hmm. That's a tiny fraction. It's mostly natural. What, like, how are we affecting anything? Well, I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah. well, that's compelling. Like these aren't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not using the most ridiculous arguments. I'm actually using mm-hmm. the somewhat reasonable ones. Yeah, right. of course. No, oh, those yeah, are the most effective ones. In. The thing is, with the 780 billion natural emissions, have always worked on a balanced system, where whatever mm-hmm. was being emitted was being absorbed by mm-hmm. the oceans, by the trees, etc. Mm-hmm. So this is where this 780 billion comes from, like rotting gotcha. matter, vegetables, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're adding on top of that 780 billion an extra 4% every year. Hmm. And that's, we're not adding anything that's taking that away. We're slowly adding in more and more carbon dioxide. And we think about the feedback loops that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. And another interesting analogy is like, this is like slowly filling up a bathtub and not knowing when it's going to overflow. <laughs> right? right. Like right. Yeah. It's, just because that bathtub is huge doesn't mean filling yeah. it up 4% <laughs> at a 4% rate isn't. Yeah isn't going to cause it to overflow or oh, reach sure. some tipping point, right? All right. The final like argument you sometimes hear, but it's mm-hmm. not really a good one, is that it's not actually warming. The globe is cooling. I love that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they'll kind of look at like an isolated section of data and show that like mm-hmm. I think like 2008 mm-hmm. had an abnormal spike in temperature that showed that it was warmer than like the few years around it. And they'll use yeah, that sure. as evidence that it's actually getting colder. Okay. But you just that expand the graph <laughs> of temperatures to include all the data. And sure. you see the trend is going up. Oh, sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, 2008, though. It's like finding yeah. the one down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. In the 60s, there was some research that suggests 
uh, that the globe was cooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, right. like, climate science was a brand new field, mm-hmm. and there's certain isolated aspects that, like, suggested cooling because of, um, like, the way our our orbit is changing would suggest cooling. Mm-hmm. But it was never the dominant theory, and the theory was always predominantly warming, mm-hmm. and it's now, obviously, completely right. warming. The ultimate disaster here yeah. is really the systematic denial of, of science the deceptive public relation tactics that these people are using like they really trick people yeah into right. signing with fossil fuel companies oh for sure well like yeah. you said you focused on the effective arguments and they are effective on the surface and like it leads to like a rollback of like i mean like america is rolling back so much climate legislation mm-hmm. there's a big thing where they pulled out of like the paris climate yep. agreement Yep. Yeah, yeah. Which the Paris Climate Agreement it's kind of meaningless, but okay. the fact that they pulled out of it is more just symbolism because yeah, like it speaks volumes. There's nothing binding in the Paris Climate Agreement. You set your own goals. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, right. And you try to meet them, and if you don't meet them, oh well, right. There's no repercussions. Yeah. So like <laughs> to and, pull out of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have no goals. America <laughs> is the only country that hasn't signed the Paris Agreement. Uh, they claim that, like, oh, it's unfair. China isn't doing their part. Mm-hmm. But, like, China's, even though China's, like, the biggest emitter, mm-hmm. they're actually kind of on track to meet their targets. Yeah, right, yeah. And right. as we said, they're creating the most nuclear plants and solar plants. They have the biggest solar industry. They're driving the entire solar industry. <laughs> the only reason we have cheap solar is because China manufactures all the right. solar panels in the world. Yeah, right. I just, <laughs> I just love that argument for anything. Those, yeah. well, well, well. If he's not going to do it, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we're all fucked. <laughs> and yeah. one of the arguments is like, oh, it's not fair because America gets hurt more, mm-hmm. uh, which is true. It's not fair for rich countries mm-hmm. but it was designed that way because rich countries benefited from emitting fossil fuels mm-hmm. all this time and yeah. now we're asking poor countries that are developing to not do the same thing that we did to get to where we are yeah. so the only way to do that is to help them give them an advantage yeah. to help them like build up their energy infrastructure sustainably mm-hmm. without fossil yeah. fuels which is obviously something that we couldn't yeah. do that's a tough pill to swallow for sure ultimately from the denial perspective, instead of trying to figure out how to solve this issue, we're debating the the facts and yeah. we're just wasting time. Yeah. yeah. Denialists aren't stupid, but mm-hmm. they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Good way of putting it. But yeah. tying it back to the strategy, it's working. They're just running yeah. out the clock, right? That's why like this the last thing I'll have to say is it's mm-hmm. really important to get agnostics on board mm-hmm. but also to to talk about it right yeah. to get people like to get it in the sphere it's not just like yeah let's not talk about it in america what 84 percent of people believe climate change is a problem you mm-hmm. don't hear people talking about it at that yeah. right percentage at that yeah at that volume yeah right 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 wow that is that is denial well most of us um who who do like adhere to that point of view. I mean, we're, we're, we are, we do keep pretty quiet, I guess. I mean, it's, it's the, we can't just leave it to the climate activists. We need regular people to do it, but again, yeah. uh, vote. Yeah. Voting is the big yeah. one. Awesome. Well, that is a disaster. And I guess to the point of, you know, non-activists talking about it, 
I hope this episode helped. <laughs> we have a little bit of a we have a little bit of a platform. We have some listeners. Yeah. Um, so ho- hopefully, hopefully that helps. Hopefully, people yeah. didn't hate me preaching all night long. Well, it wasn't really. Well, you know, it's scientific it's, preaching. It's it's yeah. it's always difficult to tackle a topic like that objectively, right? Like I yeah, it's, it's very divisive. Like the masks in in Ottawa, right? Or in general, the masks around COVID. It's become yeah. this like you know, why are masks a political issue? They're not. They stop the spread of a pandemic. Have you seen the numbers? Have you seen your neighbors mm-hmm. lately? Yeah, <laughs> like the numbers don't lie. Anyway, yeah. So music, <laughs> Norm, you got, you got some music. <laughs> Let's for that? enjoy some music. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got some music. My band is Walls of Jericho. They oh, are no. the rare female-led metalcore band. Awesome. From Detroit, Michigan. Sweet. Nice. Uh, and the song is The American Dream from 2008 album with the same name. Nice. And it just is like, it sums up my anger at this situation <laughs> just absolutely perfectly. Okay. It is the most aggro song you'll ever hear. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> nice. Can't wait to listen to it. And that's in the show notes. So check that out. Lee, you got one? There you go. Yeah, so I'm going to hearken back to my uh, teenage thrash metal roots. <laughs> and um, this one I'm, this one maybe gets sent out to uh, James Hansen. Okay. And it's a song by the band Testament. Okay. And the song is called Greenhouse Effect. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Is, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of these thrash bands, beginning of the 80s, a lot of them were singing about Satan and death and... <laughs> You fast forward to the end of the 80s and they're all very like pivoted to be sort of political and, and you know, singing about issues and the environment was, a, you know, that was a that was a hot one yeah. at the time. No pun intended. So uh, uh, Greenhouse Effect, you know, that tackles some uh, tough issues even back then. We were singing about it. Awesome. Sweet. Go. Thanks. And so check that one out too. Link is in the show notes. Yeah. For me and you, Peter, I, I know that we, we joked around a lot and we were pretty, we're generally negative in tone. <laughs> <laughs> we are not but, no but i think we talked about it more maybe in part one but i think we all like to put a overall positive view on i think what we can do and what we can achieve with something like this mm. like I'm, I'm hoping that this episode maybe pushed some people that are on the fence onto a certain side hopefully it's the side that we we're advocating for but you know and anyway to that point th- this is a song that i've been sitting on for a while and i think it kind of is also on theme for the overall podcast where we talk about these disasters, but there's always like rebuilding and perseverance and human spirit. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm, so the artist is a composer named Christopher Tin. And I, mm. Norm probably knows where I'm going with it. Yep. <laughs> so the song first came up in the context of Civilization Four. It's like the theme music. Uh, came out in 2005, I guess. And the okay. song is called Baba Yetu. Um, and it's just, the reason that I'm picking it is because basically every time I listen to this song, it brings a tear to my eye. It's just very mm. like emotional and it's a big song and it just makes me think about humanity and where it started and where it has been and where it's going. And it's just overall like uplifting and optimistic. And I like to think that hopefully one of the silver linings of the current pandemic is that it's taught us that hey, you can unify against a common evil. And right now it's this relatively short-term, six-month, 18-month, whenever we get a vaccine pandemic. Um, 
And unfortunately, we have some blueprints of what can happen if you don't do that currently. Raging. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure where it yep. is by the time this episode comes out. But anyway, I, I like to think that that might have been a nice little primer and we can ununify and tackle the issue that is threatening all of us in the next 10 to 50 years. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if all that made sense. I'll listen to it when I'm editing it. But the song's Baba Yetu. That's the feeling that makes me think about and it's an awesome song so listen to it awesome no that's great yeah okay cool so if you like what you hear in these two parts and the rest of the podcast the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen and if you're not already the second best thing you can do is subscribe and leave a review and a rating i think the best place to do that is apple podcasts if you want to follow us on social medias at this disaster pod on twitter instagram and facebook on our website www.thisdisasterpod.com and on our patreon dot com slash this disaster pod where you can get tons of bonus content access to live streams of our major disasters like we were doing with this one we got patreons in the discord patrons in the discord watching the live stream we also get you also get access to micro disasters that come out every two weeks and some other bonus content that's coming down the pipeline and i think that's pretty much all i had to say those are two solid episodes nuclear norm yeah thanks for coming thanks norm for coming on yeah. You'll you'll be back. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, you'll oh, be yeah. back. <laughs> oh, you'll be back. <laughs> no, Nuclear that's actually there's no more disasters. Oh, oh, yeah. And, well, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> and show <laughs> covered it. <laughs> but anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say. Lee, you got anything to add? <laughs> Sandy, Miss High School Football rules. That's from Bill and Ted's. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in, <laughs> and we'll see you in our next major disaster. Bye. 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 Bye.